Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is sponsored by Audible again. AudibleTrial.com forward slash Teacher Luke, or just click an Audible button on my website and you can download a free audiobook. All the details are on my website. Okay, good. Now let's get started with this episode. Here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Here is part four in this road trip mini-series. How are you? Uh, Are you managing to keep up with all these new episodes? I'm uploading a lot of stuff this week since I got back from holiday. Um, So I I wonder if you're managing to keep up with them all. Well, I suppose that if you are listening to this, it probably means that you are managing to keep up somehow. But basically, don't feel rushed, okay? Even though I'm producing lots of content at this moment, don't feel rushed. Take your time. Uh, that's the beauty of podcasting, isn't it? That you can just choose to when you choose when to listen to things. You don't have to listen to them immediately. You can kind of, you know, just take your time, listen to them at your leisure uh, and in your own time and at your own speed. Um, in this episode, I'm hoping to cover these things. So here are some things that I'm going to talk about or that I plan to talk about in this episode. Um, Hollywood Boulevard and celebrity culture. So Hollywood Boulevard is a, a place in Hollywood. That's the that street with all of the stars on the pavement. So I'm going to talk about Hollywood Boulevard and also talk generally about celebrity culture. Okay. Um, we are going to look at an analysis of the mysterious lyrics to the song Hotel California by the Eagles, which is a kind of classic, uh, well-known song, um, which is very much associated with California. So we'll do an analysis of the lyrics to that song. Um, Also, um, I'm going to tell you about um, the extremely wealthy area of Beverly Hills. um, And as well as that, Uh, I'm going to explain some more differences between American and British English vocabulary. I'm going to talk about the Church of Scientology. And um, if there's time, I'll be talking about a journey, our our continuation of our, our road trip to Yosemite National Park, a totally different landscape to Los Angeles, totally different thing. We're talking about big trees and mountains and waterfalls and bears and things like that. Okay, so that's what you can expect from this episode. Let's see how much of that I can actually get through in this episode. Um, I expect that there will probably be one or two more episodes in this series before we get back to normal podcasting as usual. Um, Thank you, as ever, for comments and messages and things which I uh, receive from my listeners every day. Um, comments on the website, um, but also emails and feedback that I get uh, through the website as well. On my page, teacherluke.co.uk, there is a section in the menu that says contact, and you you can use that section to send me messages and to give me feedback on the podcast. Uh, and I do receive lots of stuff regularly, including 
um, suggestions and things for podcast episodes. And I actually have a big list uh, here uh, on my on my computer. I've got a big list of you know episodes that I'm I want to do or episodes that people have suggested. So uh, it's a, an ever growing list. Um, so many different topics and things to cover. So. Feel free, by the way, to you know send me your suggestions, and you know if I think that it's it's a uh, a good subject, and most of the time they are, then I'll put them into the list, and then eventually I'll get round to doing them. Um, also, I just really appreciate the contact from from you, my listeners. Um, you might not, you, I don't know how you feel about sending me messages. I know that, for example, I listen to lots of podcasts and 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 other things. You know, I've read books and all that sort of thing. And I hardly ever get in touch with the people who produce all that stuff. For example, the podcasts I regularly listen to or the books I read and stuff. I, it, it really never occurs to me to actually contact the people that I'm listening to. Um, but I should really because, you know, as someone who makes a podcast, um, I can tell you um, from personal experience that it's great when we receive messages from our listeners. It's, it's really great. And we appreciate, I personally appreciate it a lot. I love hearing from you and I really appreciate your comments and your thoughts and ideas and any kind of feedback, because most of the time it's just me talking into a microphone and I get no sense of the person I'm actually speaking to. In a classroom environment, it's different because the people are there and I can listen to them and it's much more of a sort of two-way interactive process. Um, Here on the podcast, it's just me in a room on my own in front of the computer. And so it really helps me when I hear from you and I just get any kind of sense of who you are and what you like and uh, what you are like and, um, you know, all of those things. So that's great. So thank you very much for any messages that you've sent me. And of course, you know, uh, some of the really positive comments that you make about the podcast. Um, It's really great to get your feedback. Thank you very much. Um, Also, don't forget, you can, you know, if you've got sort of uh, whatever, how can I put it? If you have, if you have, criticisms yeah i know it's it's not always nice to listen uh, nice to read criticisms but uh uh do send me your criticisms as well they might not be very nice to read but ultimately you know i think it's probably good if i hear bits of criticism i know that i can't please all the people all the time of course but um nevertheless i think that it's probably worth hearing some criticism. So if you think there are things that I need to change about the way I do Luke's English podcast, then, you know, I'm open to hearing those things too. Um, I might not be able to fulfill everything, but um, still it's, you know, I'm not just here just to to listen to praise. Uh, Sometimes uh, some positive criticism can be quite useful as well. You know, I'm, I'm not inviting you to abuse me on the internet. No, of course not. Uh, but if you think there's valuable feedback that I should know, then, you know, feel free to get in touch with me and let me know. Um, I'll try not to be too sensitive about it. Um, right then. So here we are in episode four of this sort of epic, uh, (laughs) series of podcasts about a road trip holiday that I did recently. And I'm still in Los Angeles for God's sake. You might be thinking, can you move on? Um, all right, I will. Okay. 
uh, the reason, one of the reasons why this is taking so long, and I hope that you like that. I mean, you know, I don't really know, but I hope that you're enjoying, you know, the story so far. One of the reasons why it's sort of taking me time to go through all of this stuff is because, well, I, I want to use this as an opportunity to talk about other things and to deal with other subjects. So it's not just a, a diary of where we went and what we did, but also I want to kind of branch out and uh, discuss other subjects and maybe go a little bit deeper into the culture and the history of, of the place um, and, and so on. So we're going to continue now. And um, now we're talking about Los Angeles still and Hollywood Boulevard. Now, I can't remember which day this was because, to be honest, I'm losing track of time. I can't remember which day this happened, but it doesn't really matter. Basically, at some point um, in the first part of our holiday, we did take a walk um, along Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, Hollywood Boulevard, that's a famous street because it's the one with all the stars on the ground and the names of celebrities. Sometimes you see on TV or in magazines, like photos or video of celebrities um, having their name printed on the ground inside a golden star which is embedded into the pavement now if you make it as a celebrity in hollywood then yeah that's what happens they put a star on the pavement and you know that you've made it because hundreds of tourists walk all over your name and they spill their coke and coffee and ketchup and french fries on you every day and that's the american dream i think now um walking along hollywood boulevard and looking at the stars there, I did wonder, how do you actually get your name on a star here? How does one go about... What's the process of getting a star, getting a name on a star on Hollywood Boulevard? Not that I want to, of course. I'm not, like, trying to find out so that I can get my name on it, because I'm I'm not sure that's... Well, it's obviously... <laughs> it's never going to happen. But I just wondered, um, who decides which names are added, and how does that actually happen? And since then, I have uh, done a bit of research. Basically, I read uh, a, a Time magazine article based on an interview with a number with a member of the selection committee for Hollywood Boulevard stars. Right. So I've done a little bit of research. You can read that um, article on Time dot uh, com. Uh, there's a link here on the web page. If you're following this, by the way, as usual, there's a, but there is lots of content on the page for this episode. Uh, some of it is transcription of what I'm saying. Uh, so if you want to, you know, just sort of double check the things that you're hearing, if you want to read while you're listening, you can do that. Then it could be a really good way of reinforcing the English that you're getting here. So yeah, you can read the article. Uh, but basically, I'm going to summarize um, the the content of that article for you. So this is how to get your star on the Hollywood Boulevard. Now, essentially, anyone can apply to get their, their name on, on the pavement or the sidewalk, as they say in the States, um, as long as you have $30,000 to spare. It just costs you $30,000, that's all. Um, uh, it's not as simple as that. You don't just pay $30,000 and that's it. Um, there is an application process, um, and the application will not be accepted unless it meets these criteria. So here we go. First criteria, number one, you have to do some iconic work in entertainment. Now, this means that 
You have to have produced something genuinely notable and celebrated in the entertainment world. Like, for example, you have to have made a popular film, done some great acting on TV or in movies, or made some music that's popular enough to have made you famous. Okay, so the emphasis is on accomplishing some expertise in the entertainment field. I don't know if podcasting is a category that they accept. It probably isn't. Radio, apparently radio is. Um, Anyway, it's mainly you have to accomplish some level of expertise in the entertainment field. And that means that reality TV stars are excluded, okay? Because it's not counted as proper work. So that doesn't include reality TV. So that basically means no Kardashians. Uh, But they do accept animals, In fact, several animals have their names embedded into the ground there on Hollywood Boulevard, including uh, Lassie, the the dog from the TV show, which I don't know if you saw that on your TVs um, when you were growing up. Uh, Lassie, it's a program about a dog. And the dog used to sort of uh, help people, rescue people from emergencies. So, you know... Like that, a child would fall into a well or something, and then Lassie would find the kid, and the Lassie would run back to the police station and go, row, row, row. and the police officers are like, "What's that? What's that, Lassie? Row, row, row. What? A child has fallen down a well, row, row, row. and he's only got uh, two hours before he's he um, he, he uh, starves to death." Row, 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 row. And uh, he's exactly three and a half miles northwest from here. That's amazing. Um, It's incredible, isn't it, really, that Lassie was able to communicate such complicated things to these police officers using simple dog language. Anyway, it made the dog famous enough that, uh, yes, Lassie has uh, its name, his or her. I don't know if Lassie was a boy or a girl. Uh, Anyway, Lassie has, let's say, its name. That's an interesting point, actually. In English, um, animals, do they have genders when you talk about them? Is it he or she or is it it? Uh, People have asked me that question in the past. And my answer usually is, um, and of course, I I think it's the right answer. Uh, The answer is that uh, it depends. If you consider the animal to have a personality, then you can say he or she. But if if you're just talking about it not as a sort of personality but just as a thing then it's it okay so probably your pet your pet cat or dog or goldfish or or rabbit or whatever you'd probably call it he or she because you feel it's got some sort of personality but if there's just a a random sort of animal like a bird in the sky you'd probably say it you know all right so there you go so lassie whether it's he he or a she Lassie has his or her name on the uh, on the boulevard, so they do accept animals, um, and uh, that that includes even fictional animal characters like Kermit the Frog and Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, which is a bit weird, isn't it? Really, um, so you've got you know like uh, you know Robert Redford and then Donald the Duck. Uh, you also need to have been working in Hollywood or working in entertainment for at least five years. Just five years. That's all, that's all you need. That's the kind of long longevity we're talking about. The main point here is that it's a tourist attraction for the entertainment industry. So basically, your name needs to be famous enough to attract tourists to come and see it. Apparently, it's, it's working as well because the street is absolutely jam-packed with tourists 
and it's almost impossible to actually walk along the street in some places. Um, so that's the first category. You need to do some iconic work in entertainment. So you need to be famous in the first place. So the fame comes first, then the star, and not the other way around. Uh, number two, uh, promise that you have to promise that you really want a star on the boulevard. Um, so this means that all applications require a signed statement from the applicant saying that they really want one and that they will come to an unveiling ceremony if the application process is a success. Basically, the star selection committee, those are the people who decide uh, which names are added. The star selection committee that's in charge of the process wants to make sure that the celebrities are fully prepared to come and promote the addition of their star on the pavement. Again, this is to make sure it gets the proper media coverage and that those tourists keep coming with their dollar bills, their mobile phones and their Instagram accounts. And the industry of Hollywood, you know, is 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 given, you know, more media coverage in whatever form it takes, whether it's TV coverage or people just taking photos of these things on their phones. You know, it's a big tourist attraction. Third thing, you've got to pay $30,000. That's how much it costs to enter the application process. Usually, it's not a problem for, like, these big celebrities to pay this because other people pay on their behalf. For example, management companies or other sponsors who have an interest in that person becoming more and more famous. Um, half of that fee goes to the Hollywood Historic Trust, which maintains the whole street. How do they maintain it? I suppose they make sure that, you know, it's in good condition and stuff like that. They clean off the, the spilt ketchup off the street and so on and maybe other more complicated things. The rest is used to pay for the paving stone with the star embedded in it, and also the security and photographers at the unveiling ceremony. It seems that people's desire to be recognised as a, as a famous person is really what fuels the economy around here. That's, um, you know, uh, the economy gets its money from the stars who, who want their name on it, and from all the media coverage and all of the tourists who come to check it out and spend their money on burgers and T-shirts and things. Um, fourth uh, thing, you've got to impress the selection committee in your application. So the application is a bit like a job interview process, I suppose. And apparently in your application, you need to impress the committee and show them what you've achieved in your career, proving that you really are a big star. So if I was to send in an application, um, I, what would I say? Well, I've, I've won some Macmillan Dictionary Awards. Does that, is that, does that help? Um, I've, you know, I've got lots of, lots of downloads. Um, look at all these nice comments on my website. I don't know if that would be enough for them. Uh, I've got, you know, I've got um, nearly 3 million views on YouTube. Does that help? Um, I wonder. I wonder. I, I doubt it. I don't think YouTube is part of it because, you know, these days there are huge YouTube superstars, people who get millions and millions of views from their videos. Often these are girls who um, do kind of video blogs about makeup. They're some of the most popular people on YouTube. Um, I wonder if uh, Hollywood Boulevard will ever include those people. I suppose they probably consider them to be similar to the reality TV stars, you know, like Kim Kardashian. I can't believe I'm talking about her on this podcast. I'm going to deal with her later because I went to Beverly Hills and it was like Kim Kardashian land. So I'll talk about that in a bit. Um, so 
uh, yeah, you've got to prove that you really are a big star. So you need to sell yourself to the selection committee. And then the fifth thing, you can choose your spot on the boulevard. So it is possible to choose where your star is placed on the, the boulevard. And the bigger you are as a celebrity, the more control that you have over this. So do you want to be placed in front of McDonald's, for example? Or do you want to be placed in front of the famous Chinese theatre cinema where all the premieres take place? Now, your power to negotiate the location of the star depends on your status in Hollywood. And apparently Clint Eastwood is... And Clint Eastwood is a very high-ranking member of the Hollywood establishment, of course. You know, long career as a movie star, and now he's a celebrated director and an Oscar winner, and he's, like, right right up there at the, at the top of the star system. Um, Clint Eastwood was accepted by the committee years ago, but he never completed his application... Uh, but nevertheless, they have kept a space free for his star in a prime location, right in front of that famous cinema. So that's how much of a star he really is in Hollywood. They've kept the best space for him free. Um, Muhammad Ali, um, obviously another huge star, in this case from the world of sports, he, um, he didn't want people walking on his name. He didn't want it to be on the floor. He didn't want people to walk on his name. So uh, the committee agreed to put his star on the wall. Um, And you might be thinking, on the wall of what? Um, Well, Ali's name, uh, Muhammad Ali's name is on the wall of the Hollywood and Highland Shopping Centre. Nice. I wonder if you can buy a George Foreman grill in that shopping centre. I wonder. So there you go. That's how you do it. That's how you get your 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 name written on a star on the Hollywood Boulevard. Um, what's it really like there on Hollywood Boulevard? What's it really like? Well, essentially, it's like a bigger version of Oxford Street. You know, it's full of cheap attractions and huge crowds of tourists And in my opinion, it's a little bit tacky. What do I mean by tacky? I just mean it's sort of, um, well, it's not like, not the most tasteful part of the town. In the same way that sort of Oxford Street's a bit tacky. Sure, there are a few nice, you know, good shops on Oxford Street. You can get, you know, some fashionable clothes at Topshop and and things like that. Uh, But a lot of Oxford Street's a bit tacky, really. It's just crowded and there's lots of, souvenir gift shops and things like that and kind of uh you know uh like branded um uh caps and cups with the picture of the queen on it and that's oxford street so it's the same kind of thing but for hollywood really so it's like a bigger version of oxford street um a little bit tacky. Um, you can't get much decent food there except burgers and pizza. I don't really recommend it in the same way that I don't recommend Oxford Street that much, except for some of the shopping that you can do in the Oxford Street area. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't really recommend Hollywood Boulevard. It's quite interesting to look at the names of the stars. That's quite interesting to see all these movie stars and things. And as we walk uh, on on the day that we're there, as we walk along the street, squeezing between people, we we saw names of people. Most of them are dead, in fact, which is kind of a bit creepy somehow. I don't know why. There are loads and there are loads and loads of names that I've never, ever heard of. In fact, the majority of the names are just people I don't know, like old celebrities that have had their name there for years and just sort of have become forgotten or who aren't really internationally famous. And I'm struck by the thought that fame itself is a really fleeting thing. 
Do you know what I mean? If famous fleeting. By fleeting, I mean that it doesn't last long. Uh, what's the attraction of fame, really? What's the attraction? Why do people want to be famous? Or why is it considered to be something worth achieving? Achieving? Achieving. I've just created a new word. That's when you achieve things in the evening. Achieving. You've got a, a, a achieve a, a chnorning as well. That's when you achieve things in the morning. And then uh, achieve. Oh, no, it's just achieve. Anyway, achieving, not achieving. Um, so uh, what, what was that? Yeah, it's why is it something that people think uh, is worth achieving? Um, so I'm just, you know, just one, wondering about this. Um, what's the attraction of fame? What To be so well known that your name is embedded on the ground or onto a monument so that people never forget you. Um, maybe people are attracted by this because they feel like it's a way to live forever, you know? It's a way to become immortal because your name and your image continue even after your death. But I think that true long-lasting fame is only gained by a tiny minority. And even then, it isn't proper immortality. It's just a version of yourself that lives on in popular culture. It's just like a two-dimensional version of yourself. It's almost like a ghost that lives on. It's pretty weird. What do you think? Um, what do you think? I'm curious to know what you think about um, fame and celebrity culture. What's the attraction of fame? Uh, would you like to have your name on Hollywood Boulevard? Would that be an achievement? Um, I, I wonder. I wonder what you think. I've said it before uh, in this series, and I'm prob- and I will probably say it again. Los Angeles is actually a mysterious place. I've tried to describe this already in the series. It's just a general feeling that's hard to put into words. But there's a lot of light and dark in this town. And that, I think, is part of the sort of glamour and romance of it. Um, I mean, in terms of the light, uh, obviously, you've got the climate and the beach, and it's it's just a great place to be. It's, it's, it's fantastic fun. Um, and also in terms of the image, you know, movie stars, they shine bright and there's so much glamour. But there's also in Los Angeles, there is also, you know, poverty, homelessness and broken dreams. So many young people have come to Los Angeles and then ended up sort of corrupted by the place or hurt by their own idealism and naivety. Some of them died young and in tragic circumstances. Think of think of the girl that I mentioned previously, and I think it's the last episode, Peg Entwistle, the girl who jumped off the Hollywood sign in 1932. Um, uh, or young movie stars who died or hurt themselves as a result of uh, a dangerous lifestyle um, and a dangerous intake of drugs, for example. Um, it makes me think of someone like River Phoenix. Do you remember Riv- River Phoenix? We know uh, Joaquin Phoenix, he's... Uh, a well-known actor these days. I did an episode about him years ago, Joaquin Phoenix. Well, Joaquin Phoenix had a brother called River Phoenix. And River Phoenix was, uh, at the time, this is sort of like the mid-90s, he was a fresh-faced, young, uh, handsome young movie star and musician, a talented actor. Everyone said that he had a bright future. And he came to Hollywood and he seemed to get deep into the slightly darker side of celebrity life in Hollywood. And ultimately, and tragically, he died from an overdose on the doorstep of the Viper Club, which is a nightclub, uh, which at the time was partly owned by Johnny Depp. And 
the story of River Phoenix just seems to be um, typical of so many other young people like him. So why is there so much oblivion um, in this town? Um, also, so much of the writing and films and music, and I mean the really good stuff at least, that comes out of um, Los Angeles seems to be essentially about some sense of a loss of innocence or the end of the American dream, the darkness under the surface of American values, or dealing with vice, particularly in the form of alcohol and drugs and the dark side of these things. It's as if California represents the highest attainment of the American dream, and but is also the place that can turn those dreams into a grim and empty wilderness of the soul. You know, is it the American dream or the American nightmare? Some of the detective stories, um, you know, the film noir style stories and movies, uh, movies that are based on work by people like Chandler, um, the songs of, of the Eagles, which, as we're going to discover, are not quite as sunny and, uh, and uh, sunny and positive as you might expect, and the work of other bands, the writing of Ginsberg, Bukowski, William Burroughs, Jack Kerouac, the comics of Robert Crumb, and so on. All of this work seems to come to mind. I realise I realize that I am talking about some slightly dark themes here in what you might have expected to just be a description of a romantic honeymoon. Well, let me assure you, we did have some really nice romantic moments together, of course, on our trip. There was plenty of sunshine and good times and romantic dinners and so on. But as well as that, we had a really great time getting to know the place and soaking up the atmosphere of of the areas that we visited. And one of my main aims in these episodes is to try and get under the skin of California a bit and try and sort of, you know, deliver you something with a bit more insight and a bit more depth um, than just a, a description of a holiday. Um, so let's consider some songs, shall we? Let's consider some songs that deal with the things that I've been talking about and songs that might be able to kind of get across these ideas more effectively because sometimes music is the best way to communicate these slightly uh, abstract ideas and things. Um, so what kind of songs am I thinking about? Well, there's one example is the song Californication by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, you know that one? Californication. Maybe I can just play the intro to it so that you know the song, you know the one I'm talking about. So if you don't recognise the name of the song, let me just play you a few seconds of the song just to jog your memory. This is Californication. Here it is. This is the band I was talking about in the previous episode with the lead singer called Anthony Kydis. Most of you, I'm sure, know it already. Psychic spies from China try to steal your mind's elation And little girls from Sweden dream of silver screen quotation And if you want these kind of dreams, it's Californication Okay, that's just a little, um, little bit. Uh, I think that... If you want to know more, if you want to kind of uh, hear that song, uh, you can obviously just check it out on YouTube or or on um, Spotify or in your record collection, or you can get it on iTunes and so on. Um, I will leave a link on the page for this episode with the lyrics there. I might come back to that song later on in this episode, but I also thought that we could 
go back to that song Hotel California and explore the meaning of that one because I think if there's any song any pop song that is associated with California any song that is played on television whenever they deal with you know California from a tourist point of view it's always this one and it's um, an iconic song and it's a very well-known song it's perhaps one of the most well-known rock pop songs ever there's probably you know uh, Stairway to Heaven and and this one. Um, so let's have a look at California. Let's, let, let's have a look at Hotel California and explore the meaning of the song because there are loads of different interpretations of the meaning of this song, including some pretty far-out suggestions that it's about Satanism or drug addiction. Um, I think probably the latter, uh, Satanism, is... is no, wait a minute. I think the latter, that's drug addiction, is far more likely than it being about Satanism. But let's see. And one of the cool things about, you know, film and music and stuff is that you can interpret the lyrics in many different ways. There are lots of different interpretations. Um, so let's have a look at uh, Hotel California. Now, hmm, am I going to play the whole song to you? Uh, I'm not sure I really should um, play the whole song. It's quite long, you see. Uh, I'll play the introduction again just to kind of get you back in the in the headspace of the song. So I'm going to play the introduction to Hotel California to you now. Let me just find it here on my computer. I've got it here somewhere. I don't know why I'm speaking like this now. I suddenly come from uh, the southwest of England. The Eagles weren't from they weren't from Dorset. No, they were from they weren't originally from California the Eagles, but they moved to California and um made their success in California and became hugely famous and rich and successful rock stars. And they kind of got pulled into the world of California rock music um, success and all of the hedonism that goes along with that. And I think that a lot of their songs, in fact, as well as celebrating all of the sort of cliches that we know about California, like it being a sunny place and beautiful women, like the Beach Boys sang, you know, I wish they all could be California girls. I think the Eagles also managed to deal with some of the darker themes that um, are part of the kind of 1970s version of um, of that part of the world. And that means that, you know, after the hippie dream had sort of gone a bit dark and there's lots of people burned by experiences with drugs and things and also the uh the way that um you know just the success of being a rock star can have its darkest things going on let me just play the uh intro to uh hotel california just to get you in the headspace of the song again here it is
Such a lovely place. Okay, so that's just the beginning of the song. Um, now, in this part of the podcast, I'm going to read from uh, a page on a website called shoop.com. And there's a citation uh, for this page on the web on my website here. Um, so shoop.com, um, August the 25th, 2015. That's when I um, visited the page. Uh, shoop.com forward slash hotel dash california dash eagles forward slash meaning um so if you want to follow what i'm saying you can click that link you can find the link on the page for this episode but i'm now going to just sort of read from this uh page and i think it's a really good summary of the of the meaning here and we're going to go through first of all just a summary of what the lyrics actually say so the story of the song and then we'll go into um what this website says about the meaning of the song. Okay, so here we go. And by the way, you can get the. Am I going to just read? Oh, I think I'm going to read the lyrics to you first. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. All right, let's do that. So I'm just searching for it. Okay, so here are the lyrics so that you at least um, know what the lyrics are. So it goes like this On a dark desert highway, cool wind in my hair, smell a uh, warm smell of colitas rising up through the air. Up ahead in the distance, I saw a shimmering light. My head grew heavy and my sight grew dim and I had to stop for the night. There she stood in the doorway. I heard the mission bell and I was thinking to myself, this could be heaven or this could be hell. Then she lit up a candle and she showed me the way. There were voices down the corridor. I I thought I heard them say, welcome to the Hotel California. It's such a lovely place. There's plenty of room at the Hotel California any time of year, and you can find it here. Her mind is Tiffany twisted. She's got the Mercedes Benz. She got a lot of pretty, pretty boys that she calls friends. How they dance in the courtyard. Sweet summer sweat. Some dance to remember, and some dance to forget. So I called up the captain. Please bring me my wine. He said, we haven't had that spirit here since 1969. And still those voices are calling from far away. Wake you up in the middle of the night just to hear them say, Welcome to the Hotel California. Such a lovely place. And they're living it up at the Hotel California. What a nice surprise. Bring your alibis. Mirrors on the ceiling, the pink champagne on ice. And she said, We're all just prisoners here of our own device. And in the master's chambers, they gathered for the feast. They stab it with their steely knives, but they just can't kill the beast. Last thing I remember, I was running for the door. I had to find the passage back to the place I was before. Relax, said the nightman. We are programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. All right. Kind of gives it a different atmosphere when you read the lyrics like that, doesn't it? Um, so here we go. Let me read from shoop.com now. So 
In the title track of their hit 1976 album, Hotel California, the Eagles warn listeners of the two most dangerous things known to man, women and California, or to be more precise, California girls. They turn the Beach Boys plea from 1965, I wish they all could be California girls, on its head. Apparently, some dras- something drastic happened to girls from the Golden State between 1965 and 1976. And by the time they wrote Hotel California, the Eagles had come to the conclusion that the cutest girls in the world also came with a lot of baggage. But before we dive a little deeper into this song, let's go over the basic sequence of events described in this ballad. As the story unfolds, the speaker is driving on a dark desert highway late at night. He feels the wind in his, in his hair and smells some desert flowers. Before long, he starts to feel drowsy and stops at a hotel for the night. You guessed it, it's the Hotel California. A mysterious woman stands and greets him at the door like a Homeric siren, luring the weary traveller with her seductive song. This female figure plays a central role in the song, though we never learn all that much about her. All the while, the speaker isn't sure what to make of the place. He starts to hear voices singing about how lovely and pleasant it is to stay at the hotel. The woman is rich and fun-loving, and her friends are beautiful. So, so far, so good. The speaker orders up some wine from the wine captain, who remarks that the speaker has has brought the playful spirit of the 1960s along with him. The speaker passes out and hears the voices again singing about the Hotel California. This time, however, they mention something about having an alibi to prove their innocence. This tidbit is the first suggestion that all might not be well at our quaint hotel. The speaker notices how the swanky, how swanky the place is, But then the woman tells him that everyone at the hotel is a prisoner of his or her own making. Um, Everyone shows up for dinner in the room of the master, who is this master character. And then they stab at some animal or beast that won't die. Naturally, this sends our speaker running for the exit, but now he can't find the exit. The person who watches over the hotel tells him not to worry because he won't ever be able to escape from the hotel. And such is the fate of our weary travelling narrator. The very first few lines of the song take us to the long, straight highways of California and the American Southwest, which serves as a powerful symbol of freedom, desolation and recklessness in songs by the Eagles. The song title suggests a sunny, laid-back place where people drink lots of pomegranate juice and practice yoga, But it also hints that the state of California, or more accurately, the idea of California, is not really home to anyone. It's a place for people who are between destinations, transients. One central theme in Hotel California is the disconnect between popular perceptions of California versus the reality. Don Henley, the guy who wrote the lyrics, uh, so Don Henley's masterful lyrics 
focus much of their attention on this theme of perceptions of California in the American collective imagination versus the reality of the Golden State. Don Henley's lyrics certainly have a f- have a flair for the dramatic as he effortlessly transforms the mood and tone of the story. What once seemed like a small desert paradise quickly turns into a gothic horror. In many ways, this is a story about California in general and Los Angeles in particular. Don Felder, the guitarist for the Eagles, who wrote the tune for Hotel California, has talked about how the song was inspired by driving into Los Angeles filled with high expectations that were later disappointed. If you drive into LA at night, you can just see this glow on the horizon of lights and the images that start running through your head of California and all the dreams that you have. To many, the speaker in Hotel California included, Los Angeles seems like a beautiful oasis on the edge of a dark, squalid desert. Hundreds of thousands of people have migrated to California in search of sunshine, beautiful women, money and fame. Yet many find this dream to be a mirage. As the nightman of the hotel explains, we are programmed to receive. And in many ways, California has been programmed to receive too, from its very inception. After all, in 1948, before California even officially became American territory, uh, gold was discovered at Sutter's Mill in the Sierra foothills, bringing in droves of immigrants from other regions in the United States, as well as Asia, Europe and Latin America. The Californian dream was born, and it was a dream of instant wealth, waiting to be claimed by anyone bold enough to take it. Hundreds of thousands of people poured into the state, hoping and expecting to find a fortune in the gold fields, but most of them never found it. The easy... Um, the easy gold was soon was soon disappeared, and it didn't take long for huge industrial mining operations to take over. Within a few years, most individual miners were reduced from independent treasure seekers to dependent wage labourers. So in some sense, a kind of false hope was written into the fabric of California from its very inception. And this is just what the Eagles found in California more than a century later. Despite their inextricable connection to the state of California, no member of the Eagles was originally from there. According to Don Henley, we were all middle-class kids from the Midwest. Hotel California was our take on the high life in Los Angeles. Don Henley, originally from Texas, and Glenn Fry, a rocker from Detroit, came to Los Angeles in 1970 to pursue musical careers. Together they formed the Eagles in 1971, along with Bernie uh, Ledden and Randy Meisner. After all, After all four had toured as members of Linda Ronstadt's band, the Eagles managed to create a laid-back California sound that effortlessly combined elements of country with rock music. The music they constructed was intended as a soothing antidote to the turmoil of the late 1960s. This was a sound that appealed to American listeners of all stripes, as the band's huge record sales have Proven. Between 1975 and 1979, the Eagles released four consecutive number one albums. One of these nights, their greatest hits, uh, 1971 to 1975, Hotel California and The Long Run. Greatest Hits still remains as the best-selling album of all time in America. With all this money and success, the Eagles soon found that they had become prisoners of their own device. 
Fame, excessive partying and drug use took its toll on the band members. According to Glenn Fry, we weren't the Rolling Stones, but we weren't the Osmonds either, somewhere in between, but closer to the Stones. As far as I understand, that means basically they took a lot of drugs, but they didn't take as much drugs as Keith Richards. But who has, to be honest? Anyway, according to some interpretations, Hotel California is a song about drug addiction. Others have viewed it as a song about a mental hospital or devil worship, or in one especially oddball take, even a real hotel run by cannibals. Um, Most likely, however, it's a song that chronicles the culture of excess, wealth, decadence and self-destruction in South in Southern California uh, um, in the mid-1970s. In a 2007 interview with 60 Minutes, Don Henley described Hotel California as a song about the dark underbelly of the American dream and what uh, and about excess in America, which is something we knew a lot about, he said. Uh, What's interesting here is that Henley and the Eagles are not trying to argue that the American dream is a sham or is fake. No, they themselves are living examples of the American dream because they're four Midwest boys who came to California with the dream of becoming rock stars. And five years later, they released the best selling album in history, in American history. Yet we would say that they got a pretty good deal. But instead, the Eagles are criticising Uh, the culture of excess surrounding the rich and famous in Hollywood, a culture that they were a part of. It turns out the old adage is true. More money, more problems. Or I think it was Puff Daddy or um, the notorious B.I.G. who said, mo money, mo problems. Um, So there you go. I think that there's probably some stuff about drug addiction in there. Like the idea of uh, uh, you can we're all prisoners of our own device which is a kind of isn't that an image relating to addiction you know that uh, they 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 are prisoners of of addiction anyway interesting don't you think i think so um so there you go um now other things movies la movies while i was there i was thinking about films a lot and there are some classic movies that are set in los angeles and really summarise the atmosphere of the place. Uh, For example, L.A. Confidential with Kevin Spacey, um, The Big Lebowski with Jeff Bridges, uh, Beverly Hills Cop, uh, which uh, stars Eddie Murphy, uh, and and Pulp Fiction. And then any sort of film noir detective story, particularly Chinatown, which stars Jack Nicholson, or The Big Sleep uh, with um, Humphrey Bogart. They all sort of represent different versions of uh, uh, Los Angeles. I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Um, so Beverly Hills, I just mentioned Beverly Hills cop. Well, we visited Beverly Hills and this is a really rich town, which is undeniably beautiful and well-kept with palm tree lined streets, lovely properties and very smart shop fronts and boutique stores. But some parts of it are filled with unbelievably fake looking people i have to say with loads of plastic surgery um now not everyone who lives there is like that but i saw more people there who looked like that than in other parts of the town for example we went to the nike store to get some socks and uh i my wife went to get her socks and i sat down just on a bench in the middle of the store and i i kind of had a look at the people coming through and uh well i just saw more plastic surgery 
uh, in the Nike store than I'd seen in about a year in uh, you know the previous year it just seemed that everyone was kind of like had designed themselves it was it's really quite odd and we noticed that there are just Kim Kardashian clones everywhere with like they've all got like butt implants that mean that they can't walk properly and the streets are full of these sort of young guys in rented sports cars. Now, I know that I was one of those young guys in a rented sports car, but these were like even, you know, like way more expensive rented sports cars. They were like all these young guys driving rented Ferraris and stuff, which they just kind of uh, self-consciously zoom between sets of traffic lights. It's a bit silly. I mean, they're they're just driving around in these, these supercars and they they get like about a hundred meters of road in front of them. So they drive really fast along this hundred meter stretch of road. And then the lights go red and they have to slow down and stop. So it seems a bit ridiculous. And to be honest, fairly ugly in, in my opinion. And that's right. I have mentioned Kim Kardashian in this episode of the podcast. And I always thought that I would never mention that family on this podcast because I don't really personally, I don't really like what they do. I mean, I feel like it's a bit empty and I don't know why they are so popular. But I suppose if I'm going to talk about celebrity culture in Los Angeles, then how can I do that without mentioning the Kardashians reluctantly? Um, So who is Kim Kardashian? And I say that name with a certain level of reluctance. Who is she? Um, I'm sure that most of you know who she is because she seems to be one of the most famous people on the planet. Certainly on the internet, she's got more Twitter followers than almost anyone else and more followers on Instagram. But who is she? Well, she's the daughter of a, a rich West Coast socialite and a powerful and the daughter of a powerful lawyer. So the lawyer was the guy who represented O.J. Simpson in that famous O.J. Simpson murder trial. So that's the the, the father. And um, then her mother is uh, a, a West Coast socialite, basically. And she's, she's pretty much famous. Uh, so Kim is pretty much famous for being famous. She's a bit like Paris Hilton, basically. And that's how she first became known in the media, in fact, as a friend of Paris Hilton. What a claim to fame, in fact. Right. So what do you do, Kim? Well, I hang around with someone who doesn't do anything. Wow, that's like being famous for doing even less than nothing. So she's famous for being friends with someone who's famous because she's famous, which is actually quite impressive. So well done. In fact, um, Kim, that's that's actually impressive that you managed to do that. And maybe that is the appeal because she makes it look easy. The whole fame thing. Um, Then in 2003, I think that as far as I know, she decided that in order to get even more famous, that she would have to actually do something. So she released a sex tape. And that's basically a homemade porno. Classy. Um, In my opinion, that may be the quickest and least respectable way to make a name for yourself in Hollywood. But fair play to her because it worked. Um, And she, you know, she became even more well known. And she then continued to sell off her private life in a reality show which is called Keeping Up With The Kardashians, in which the viewer is invited to follow her and her sisters through her pampered and vacuous everyday life. Um, An example of... And that's just my opinion, but 
An example of what happens in a show, would you like to know the sort of typical thing that happens in an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians? Well, I just had a look on Wikipedia for some show summaries, and here's what I found from a random entry in Series 3 of the show. Okay, so here's a summary of Episode 22, and it goes like this. Episode 22, Chloe faces pressure about her weight when she decides to do Petter's I'd Rather Go Naked Than Wear Fur campaign. Chris and Courtney confront Kim about her shopping addiction and Kim gets laser eye surgery after struggling to see herself in a mirror at a dance rehearsal. I imagine that was a huge crisis. Not being able to see yourself. Uh, Yeah, I can't see myself in the mirror. Quick, get me laser eye surgery immediately. Um, Bruce is anxious to talk to Kendall and Kylie about his colonoscopy. So there you go. That's a sort of summary of what you can expect from uh, keeping up with the Kardashians. What's a colonoscopy, you might think? Well, that's basically when a doctor inspects your colon by sticking a big camera up your bum. Okay, so you get the general idea. Um, it's it takes um, it takes sort of revealing intimate areas of your private life to a new level. Uh, so my problem. I, now, I understand that the Card- Keeping Up with the Kardashians is a super popular show. And, you know, like Jennifer Lawrence, uh, the movie star, said that it was her favorite TV show. So I understand it's like really popular. And in fact, many of you listening to this may have watched it and you might enjoy watching it. So, uh, you know, that's great. Uh, my problem is that I just personally don't get it. I don't really get the appeal. And I must be wrong because Kim Kardashian is one of the most followed people on Twitter and it seems that everyone seems to love her. So maybe I'm wrong. But uh, And if you are a Kim Kardashian fan, then let me know why. I, I would love to know the appeal of, uh, of this person and the TV show. Um, as ever, leave your comments. Just tell me what you think. What's your personal opinion of... of uh, Kim Kardashian. I is her now I obviously I'm very late to the game on this subject because people have been talking about her in the media too much really in my opinion over the last 5 years or something and I've always avoided talking about it as you might know but I've kind of I suppose as I said in order to talk about celebrity culture then you know I end up having to talk about this. So I don't get it but what do you think? Um she she um she married Kanye West, the rapper, which I imagine only happened because Kanye West is not allowed to marry himself. Um, yes, he seems to love himself, or that's what people say anyway. Maybe Kim Kardashian fell in love with him just because she was so impressed by the size of his ego. Surely no one's ego is as big as mine, she thought, but then she met Kanye and she just couldn't resist his charm. And by that, I mean his media status. But obviously, I'm just joking. I may be being a little bit mean here by making jokes about them. But, you know, basically, good luck to them, I suppose. I mean, maybe I'm being a bit cynical and they really do just love each other and, 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 and so on. And honestly, if that is the case, then good luck to them. I hope they stay together and prove me wrong. And I hope that everyone lives happily ever after. Uh, but there you go. That's, there's a bit about uh, the Kardashians. And again, what do you think? I would love to know. Um, right. So I did say that I would do some more British and American English in this in this episode. So here we go. In the last one, I talked more generally about differences between British and American English, including things like the accents and the culture of communication bits of grammar and spelling, and also uh, some vocabulary. And I taught you, well, I, I went through 
some of the differences in words relating to cars and roads and driving. Here are some more, um, here's some more vocabulary, uh, some key differences um, between British English and American English. And this time we're going to be talking about food, okay? So all of these words are related to food in some way. And what I'm going to do is uh, describe the word, explain it, and uh, I'll give you an opportunity to try and guess the word I'm explaining. So we're going to play that vocabulary game. And let's see if your vocabulary is English or American or British or American. How American or how British is your vocabulary? So what's the first word that you come up with? Um, is it the British word or is it the American word? Let's see. So uh, first word, and we, we how many words do we have in this list? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten words, nice round number. Okay, so the first word is, um, let's say you, you've just ordered a burger and you want to know if that burger comes with some other stuff on the plate. And what's the most common thing that a burger comes with? Uh, it comes with bits of potato, like sort of long bits of potato that have been fried. And um, so what's the word? Well, in British English, we call these chips, just like in fish and chips. Uh, but in American English, they call them fries. Yeah, of course, everyone knows that. Uh, fries or French fries. Actually, they're from Belgium. Uh, but anyway, they're known as French fries. So chips in the UK and fries in the USA. Uh, but watch out because in America, chips means something else. Um, so the other thing is, um, let's say you've gone to the pub and you've ordered a pint of beer and you want something to snack on and you get a little, you order a little plastic bag and you open it, you open the plastic bag and it sort of rustles like that. And inside the plastic bag, you have these thin, very thin slices of potato that have been fried as well. They're very thin slices and they're very crunchy and you put one in your mouth and you eat it like that. Okay. Now, Americans would call those chips, uh, but in the UK, we call them crisps. That's it, crisps. Crisps. Can you say crisps? Can be quite a difficult word to say. Crisps. You have to, you have to go sps at the end, you see. Can you do it? Crisps. Yeah. Is everyone looking at you now? Everyone on the bus or the train, they might be looking at you going, what's wrong? What's the matter with this person? Are they okay? Should we, should we call the authorities? Crisps. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, yeah, crisps in the UK, chips in America. All right. So there's another difference. Here we go with the third word. Um, again, relating to food. Um, oh, how do I explain this one? It's a kind of snack. It's sweet. Sometimes you have chocolate chips in them. Um, you might um, eat one when you're having a coffee or a cup of tea. I'm talking, of course, about the uh, in in the UK what we call a biscuit. Um, we love biscuits, don't we, in England? Oh, yeah, we do. Nice biscuit. Dip it in your tea. Lovely chocolate digestives, the rich tea biscuit, uh, the uh, the custard cream. All these are types of biscuit. Um, chocolate uh, chocolate biscuits or chocolate chip biscuits. In the U USA, they call them cookies. Now, I think there is a difference between a cookie and a biscuit, to be honest. These are always sort of described as being equivalent words. But I think there is a difference between a biscuit and a cookie. And I think that in America, generally, they just have cookies, don't they? I think they do. They might have biscuits. See, biscuits in the USA is something else, actually. Uh, they have a dish called biscuits and gravy. And biscuits are like sort of large oat 
I guess they're made of oats or something like that. And they eat them with savoury gravy. So that's biscuits and gravy. In the UK, biscuits are sweet, as I've described. Um, Cookies tend to be bigger and they often have big lumps of chocolate in them. So large things, um, sometimes about the size of the palm of your hand, something that like that size with bits of chocolate. Those are cookies. And in the UK, we have cookies as well. So it's like the American style. But anyway, it's commonly, they're commonly referred to as being the sort of equivalent terms. But biscuits tend to be smaller. They're more common in the UK. Um, cookies are larger, with often with bits of chocolate or fruit in them. And um, they're more common in the USA. Okay, here's another one. Uh, all right, how do I explain this? This is a kind of food that um, often is served in the UK uh, at parties. And it's, you know, the sort of food that kids like or parents give to their kids. And it wobbles around, you know, and it's different colours. Sometimes it's green, sometimes it's red or yellow. And it wobbles around. Sometimes when your your mum used to make it as a, when you were a kid, she would make it in different shapes. So she'd put it in, it's made of gelatine and she would like mix it with hot water or something and then fill it into a, uh, like a sort of mould, like the shape of a rabbit or something, and then put it in the fridge, and after a certain amount of time, take it out and pull it out of the mould, and there it would be, this lovely plate of, what am I talking about? Well, we call it jelly in the UK, jelly. And in the States, it's jello. That's right, jello. Jelly in the UK, jello in the United States. And I often see, well, not that often, I have seen uh, sort of arguments between British and American people, and Americans go, "What do you mean? It's not, it's not jelly. It's Jello." And the Brits are like, "No, it's jelly, you idiot!" And then there's a, you know, a big argument. Usually, the big arguments occur in the comments section on YouTube videos. But um, anyway, jelly in the UK, Jello in the United States. Um, but again, the Americans, for them, jelly is what we call jam. So in the morning, you have your toast. And what do you want to spread on the toast? Strawberry jam. That's right. Lovely strawberry jam. So that's jam. But for the Americans, that's jelly. Obviously, they're wrong, of course. Uh, Jelly is, you know, the the stuff you have at parties and jam is what you put in your toast. Come on. Uh, No, I'm just joking. It's just different strokes for different folks, isn't it? Um, Jelly, uh, the party food in the UK. Jam is what you put on your toast in the UK. In America, they have jello and jelly is what they put on their toast. Okay. Um, uh, next thing is, uh, I'm, I'm abandoning the game. I can't be bothered because you know these words already. Next one is sweets, basically sweets. So that's uh, uh, sugary things that kids like to eat. And they, get, they buy them from the sweet shop in bags. And, you know, you eat sweets and you get like, you know, little sugary things. Very bad for your teeth. Sweets. In America, what do they call it? Candy. That's right. Candy. So in the UK, sweets there, it's a, it's a countable noun, plural countable noun. In America, candy is an uncountable noun. So there you go. Sweets and candy. Um, treacle. Treacle is a kind of very thick, uh, sugary sauce. You might put it on a cake for as part of an English dessert. So it's treacle. Um, yeah, treacle is very thick. It's like caramel, but hotter. And you put it on uh, puddings or desserts in the UK. That's treacle. In America, they call it molasses. Okay, a less commonly used word there anyway. Okay, here's another one. You go to the local fair, you know, that's the fairground and they've got like, uh, the fair has come to town and there's a circus 
and there are little rides that you can go on and there's maybe a uh, a ferris wheel and you can go around the ferris wheel it's like goes up and it goes down a bit like the london eye but smaller there's a ferris wheel and there's a helter skelter which is like a big tower and you slide down a curving wooden uh slide that goes all the way around the helter skelter in a in a you know uh, it's like a this is a county uh like a local fair Okay, fairground. And when you're at the fair, what's the thing that you eat? The sweet stuff that you eat. It's really great. Uh, People make it quite easily. They put a bunch of sugar in a thing that spins round. And I think they put some pink uh, dye in there as well. And you take a stick and you you move the stick around inside this drum uh, with all the sugar spinning around inside it. And it kind of collects this kind of cloud uh, it looks like a big pink cloud of sugar around a stick and then the children love to eat it and it's very bad for your teeth what do we call that in the uk it's called candy floss candy floss and in america well of course they call it cotton candy don't they cotton candy uh cotton candy so candy floss in the uk cotton candy in america um what about a couple of vegetables the aubergine we call it the aubergine in the UK. It's that purple vegetable. It's kind of round. Um, if you eat, if you if you eat, uh, what do you call it? Um, falafel. There's usually some aubergine in a, in a nice falafel wrap. Yum yum yum. Um, aubergine. So it's a kind of a fairly fat looking purple shiny vegetable. Okay, aubergine in America they call it eggplant. And then another vegetable is the courgette. That's um, What's that? It's a bit like an aubergine, but it's slimmer. It's green. Um, it's um, yeah, slim, slight, uh, slimmer than a than an aubergine, but fatter than a carrot. And it's green, and it's sort of darkish green. It holds lots of water. That's the courgette. And in America, they call it what? What do they call it? The zucchini, which is quite a cool name. I quite, in fact, both of those names are. are I like those words. The courgette. It sound the courgette sounds like an American sports car, don't you think? <laughs> Introducing the new Chevrolet Courgette, the healthiest and greenest American sports car ever. And then the zucchini. Um, zucchini sounds like it could be some sort of Italian, uh, Italian uh, man. Uh, Mr. Zucchini, I don't know, just an idea. So there you go, some more American and American and British English for you. All right. Um, so that's that's we're we're now at like about nearly one hour and ten minutes into this episode. Um, in the next one, uh, we're going to drive to Yosemite National Park. Okay, um, and so we're going to get some stuff about Yosemite National Park. And my wife and I had quite an adventure in Yosemite. In fact, we had a bit of a drama. On uh, on the mountainside. So listen to the next episode, and you'll hear me hear me talking about this drama we had on the mountainside. Quite an interesting experience. Um, so look, you can look forward to that. Um, that's it. I think what I'm going to do now is go back to the song "Californication," that Red Hot Chili Peppers song, um, and instead of just playing you the the original version, which I sort of legally shouldn't really do. Um, instead, I'm gonna I'm gonna play it for you on the ukulele. Now, the Red Hot Chili Peppers are obviously a brilliant sort of hard funk rock band. Uh, Flea and John Frusciante and Chad Smith, who looks like Will Ferrell and Anthony Kiedis. You know, they're just really tight sort of funk rock band. It sounds brilliant. Uh, really great group. Um, 
I'm going to try and replicate that using an using a ukulele. I'm not promising anything. I don't promise that it's going to be brilliant. And also, if you don't want to hear me singing, then let's just say that this is the end of the episode, all right? Uh, in fact, what I'll do is I'll end the episode, I'll play the jingle, and if you don't want to hear the song, you don't have to, all right? You can just stop and everything. everyone's happy. But if you want to hear me sing Californication, if you want to listen to the lyrics of Californication, then uh, then just keep listening and uh, you'll be able to listen to it. Okay. All right, then. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. Hold on and listen to me singing if you want to. Otherwise, that's the end of the episode. Thanks a lot for listening. I'll speak to you again soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. It's just occurred to me that I say thanks for listening about a million times at the end of each episode. And at the beginning of episodes, I always say, uh, what do I say? Welcome to the podcast. Um, Yeah. So anyway, you don't mind, though, do you? Of course you don't mind. Why would you mind about that? Anyway, I'm the one who minds because I listen to myself and I think, oh, God, why do I keep repeating myself? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Right. So um, you, you still have the option to stop listening if you don't want to hear me sing, okay? So I'm just trying to, I'm trying to uh, sort of lose all the people who, who probably won't like it. So if you, if you actually like to hear me sing or sort of destroy songs uh, that you love by playing them slightly badly on a ukulele, then great. Then you're exactly the sort of person that I want to talk to. So keep listening because here we go. Here's my version of, uh, of a classic song called Californication on a ukulele. Psychic spies from China try to steal your mind's elation And little girls from Sweden dream of silver screen quotations And if you want these kind of dreams it's Californication The sun may rise in the east, at least it settles in a final location It's understood that Hollywood sells Californication Pay your surgeon very well to break the spell of aging Celebrity skin, is this your chin or is this war you're waging? Firstborn unicorn, hardcore soft porn, dream of Californication, dream of Californication. Teenage bride with a baby inside Getting high on information And buy me a star on the boulevard It's Californication Oops 
here, but it's made in a Hollywood basement. And Cobain, can you hear the spheres singing songs off station to station? And Alderaan's not far away, it's Californication. Who praise control of population Everybody's been there And I don't mean on vacation Firstborn unicorn Hardcore soft porn Dream of Californication Dream of Californication Right, that was my version of Californication. Sorry if I ruined it for you. That's it. Thanks for listening. Speak to you again soon. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.